Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 166th episode of the Truth Island podcast. The word entitled conjures up both images of responsibility and contempt. On one hand, human beings tend to behave quite admirably when our efforts are spent bettering those around us. For much of antiquity, the right to having clean drinking water was considered somewhat of a privilege, with people in Rome, for example, having to dilute their drinking water with alcohol as a means of purifying their supply. Today, however, an apartment without a running faucet would most likely incur a fine or suspension of rent payment until the landlord made adequate repairs. Thus, such things as heat, gas, and water have now crossed the line of privilege into the realm of entitlement. While this is most certainly something to be applauded, there are others amongst us who still adhere to the maximum that nothing in this world is guaranteed. While things such as free education and clean drinking water, at least in America, have become an expected entitlement, other necessities such as health care and the right to housing have not crossed over the privileged barrier. Those who are against entitlements often cite the fact that the more things are promised or given away for free, the less people will come to appreciate them. For example, it is easy to fool around and not do homework when one is getting a free education in high school, but it is a whole other ordeal when one is paying 10 grand for a semester at college. Another argument that is often made is that entitlements make us weak. As man comes to see that he is no longer the provider or developer of his own happiness, but rather comes to expect that the state provides for such needs and whims. However, those in the opposite camp argue that as a moral society, we have a moral imperative to provide everything and anything that we can in order to enhance the lives of our fellow man. For instance, if a man happens to come across 10 pizza pies and the people around him are starving, is he not obligated to share some of those slices with those who are on the brink of starving to death? Joining me to help figure out if I'm entitled to just about anything in this world, I am once again joined by Kenny. Kenny, let me start by asking you this. When I turn on my faucet, do you think I'm entitled to have clean water come out? Or is it up to me to procure my own clean water? <laughs> well, I certainly don't think you're even entitled to my answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How much are you charging me now for your answer, sir? <laughs> One billion, billion for billion dollars. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you are entitled to water. Absolutely. And um, I think it's because of the contracts. If, if not a, if not an actual contract, if not an actual signed contract where you, the landlord says, these are the things I will provide for you. Because if it does say these are the things I will provide for you, then you're entitled to them based on the contract. But if it doesn't say that, because if, you, you know, if he's not supposed to, if, he, if, if it's not his responsibility to provide you know, certain things, then it's not, you're not entitled to them. Then you say, okay, what if it's not, if it's not in a contract? What about social governance? What, it's not social governance, but well, um, civil civil governance right so the, the, the civil law right is it does it does the law of the does, does the law of the nation or the the town or the um, um the city demand or dictate that the landlord should provide such and such a thing and if he does not then you know you're entitled to either a compensation or you know withholding of rents and whatever it is so i think that people are entitled to certain things but there has to be a reason, there has to be an authority behind that entitlement, right? So if you wake up in the morning and you think you're entitled to a, um, to a, 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 a donut and a coffee, you got another thing coming, bro. 
because <clears throat> no, there is no authority. No authority has demanded. No authority. No. And here's the thing: authority is the only is uh, and the person in authority is the only one who can enforce it, right? Because authority is the uh, yeah, authority is basically enforceable power, right? So the no authority is no authority has stated, demanded, or you know made it clear that you should be getting you know donuts and coffee in the morning. So certain things we are absolutely entitled to according to the law and according to contracts and so forth. Other things, there is no way in hell we're in, most things where there's no way in hell we're entitled to. Okay, so I like that you're adhering to like structures of government to turn, and I think that it is a fair, that they are a fair arbiter of what we are entitled to and what we're not entitled. Things such as free public education, um, things such as um, food and water and so forth. What, what's going on right now in this country, United States, is that we are at an odds where some people think that we're entitled to more, because I'm sure there was a period of time in history where, um, let's say we were living in medieval Europe, where the kings and lords said, you know what, you're not really entitled to clean drinking water, you're just not, right? And, and somewhere along the line, there was a shift, maybe in the 19th century, 20th century, where all of a sudden it became a law that every house or every landlord provide clean drinking water. So mm. we've gone through this process before of things not of having no entitlement to clean drinking water. And then there was a shift in society, maybe a shift in technology or just a shift in values that all of a sudden uh, dictated that the government now regulates that everyone is entitled to clean drinking water. Mm. We're now having these kind of conversations with things like healthcare, housing, housing in general. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is this another 19th century moment where housing and healthcare are going to become the new clean drinking water? Or are these things still too far removed for us to say that, you know, we're actually entitled to these things? Now, libertarians, on one hand, will say, you're not even entitled to drinking water. You're not entitled to anything. You're not, you should pay for your education and so forth. Like that's the extreme, the, the, the extreme spectrum would say, you're not even entitled to the things that you already have. And the, uh, the socialist side of the spectrum would say, not only are we entitled to those things, we're entitled to more. So we're, we're kind of in the middle of this. And my question to you, Kenny, is who gets to decide what we agree, we both agree that the government ultimately decides what you're entitled and what you're not entitled to. Would you would you say that's a fair statement? Also, that's a fair statement. Yeah. Okay. Who who gets to who gets to inf, who gets to decide who gets to decide what the government thinks? I guess is my next question. Ah, well, <laughs> just like the playground when you're growing when we grow up, there was always the meanest baddest kid on the playground who nobody really wanted to mess with because you know he didn't he, he didn't give a crack but she didn't give two thoughts a shilling or a nickel to shoving you down the jungle gym <laughs> so and everybody became quite scared of him and he became the king of the playground and so forth I think it's kind of like that. We we like to think that as adults we've matured, and you know we're no we're no we're no longer like these you know savage little children. But we're not. We we're, we really are. We haven't changed at all. Sure, this time it's not a physical threat. It may be a you know promotional. It may be intellectual. It may be positional. The point is simply that I I think that it's the people who 
the people who choose who get to pick what we're you know what happens are the people with the most cachet the people who are the richest or smartest or uh cunning most aggressive most so there's there's it's just that way just like the just like just like the playground is the same thing in politics or in governments all right i want to actually I, I like that you use the word the people because this word the people gets used quite a bit it gets like and it's really yeah. vague because when we say the people, yeah. do we mean if 51% of all Americans want something, it should become an entitlement? Or is the people referring to a small selective class of powerful people? You know what I mean? So this, this is where I kind of scratch my chin. I'm like, if 51% of Americans want something, does that mean the people have spoken? Or when we say the people, do we mean like a team of scientists and business experts, people? Like, well, what do you define as being the people? Well, if I, if I remember properly, I'm not sure that I do. I think I was using it on the, in the context of the governments. Mm. So the people of the government, the people who, who, the people within the government who end up becoming in charge, who pick, hey, this is what was, this is what's going to be, right? So this is what you're entitled to, this is what you're not entitled to. And um, so that's, that's what I'm referring to. Uh, you know, those who have those who have ultimate say over what what becomes what. OK, that, that's a really good definition. So basically elected officials. Mm -hmm. OK, what happens if we have elected officials, but there's a bit of earwax developing in their ear and they're not necessarily listening to the people that put them in office? Is that just a uh, oh, well, situation or do those do those politicians have an obligation to take some Q-tips and just, you know, wipe a little bit of that wax out of their ear and start listening to, the, to their constituents? Well, the very fact that the office exists means that there are certain expectations that come with that office. So the very fact that the office exists, um, I would say, should be, uh, should be clear enough that, you know, should be clear enough why, you know, what, 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 what their position uh, demands of them. But what you find is, yeah, this is life. This is how it happens. People don't, when a person is elected and becomes an official or whatever it is, um, we like to think that they're really out to help the people. That's the citizens in this case, help the citizens. Um, and they're here to help to represent uh, uh, those who, you know, those who, are, who they represent. But often that's not the case. It's, it's really just about one self, it's just about self-advancement, power, and uh, filling one's pockets. Now, one may say that's a bit too cynical, and uh, which I will, I'll, I'll grant you that, but just because it's cynical doesn't mean it's not true. So um, I think, yeah, I, I think that uh, eventually people in power don't listen, don't, they, they, do, they do stuff up, stuff up their ears and learn to do a very interesting kind of evasive and uh, selfish dance. So, the reason, the reason that this kind of pertains to this concept of entitlement, right, is th there's an argument of like, we believe that the government should decide what we are entitled to and what we're not entitled to. Fair enough. What happens when there's a disconnect between what the people want and what the government thinks you should have? Who, who ultimately wins out in, in this kind of battle royale? Is it, is it just the elected people because they just happen to have that high station? Or is there some kind of recourse in which people can take to extract the entitlements that they believe that they're entitled to? 
Yeah, that's the person with the most guns usually wins this. But this is why America is so interesting and other, you know, democratic republics is that, you know, every four years you get to change the king. So before the king was there forever, you had to, it was basically run him out of town or kill him. That's basic, that's that was your only option. And doing those kinds of things, it costs a lot of money, costs a lot of people. And uh, it's not always, doesn't always succeed the first time now, does it? Because it's always someone who's going to rat, 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 you, rat you out. But now, now in America, I mean, yeah, you don't like the guy, you don't like the policies, you don't like what you're hearing. Well, yeah, just wait four years and he's gone. You put the next guy in, the guy you like, the guy you trust, the guy you want. And so there's peace. But usually when the people and the government disagree, it's usually, you know, people with the most guns wins, people with the most, um, uh, with more on their side uh, and, and end, up, end up taking it out. That's why you get revolutions. There's definitely an alignment issue that's going on between the people in power and the people. But there's also a an accountability issue going on. And I actually don't necessarily blame the politicians. I actually blame us in a way, because I like what you just said that, you know, you have all of these polls that say, you know, 80% of Americans want healthcare or they want this or they want that, right? So you have all of these polls, you have people going on Reddit, you have people on Facebook going absolutely nuts saying we want this, this, and the other, and the other thing. And yet the people with power keep getting reelected. So I scratch my head. I'm like, you say that you want these things, and yet you keep reelecting the same people. Now, those with an insight, you know, with inside knowledge in politics will say, well, it's a rigged two party system. And, you know, you don't really have much of a say you're choosing between Coke and Pepsi. And, you know, maybe Pepsi tastes just a tad bit better. So you have to go with the Pepsi. But there's also an accountability issue on our end of like, why, why is the conversation just Coke and Pepsi? You know, why isn't there like a third soda that we could vote for that maybe better represents us? And that, that would actually take like legwork. Yeah, I mean, I think there are other parties in the United States, just not as popular as the public, you know, the uh, Republicans and the Democrats. It's really all just a popularity contest. People don't really care for, you know, I mean, they do care. Many of them do care, right? But it's like a, it's like a secondary, it's like a, it's like a secondary caring. It's like a, so in the sense of, you know, I don't really know, most of the time we don't really know what the, what the policies of the people we're voting for, you know, actually are. <laughs> we just know that they're Democrats and all they're Republicans. And so we're going to vote for them. That's it. That's, that's, that's all we need to know, bruv. So, <laughs> and it's sad. It's not sad, it's understandable, but it is, it's a bit silly on our part because we're humans, right? You think that we are capable of, I don't know, critical thinking. And we are, but we don't do it here. You know, so it's really just popularity. We want our guy in and our guy is the best guy because why? You know, why is he the best guy? I don't know, because he's our guy, he's our guy, you know? <laughs> and uh, yeah. There's something that like, I think is is going over both of our heads right now. And I'm, I'm going to see, we may not be able to figure it out, but let, let's just take this in a real life context, okay? And I'm a politician and all of my people, all of the people that are underneath me, they want certain things. They were like, we want the roads to be fixed. We want healthcare. We want more funding to education. Let's just pretend like that's the case, right? And 
maybe I make some half promises here and there. I got your back. I got your back. I get elected. And now suddenly I don't fulfill those promises. Right. And yet it seems like people, they just, they, they seem to like to complain. Like I, I notice a lot of people in this world love to go to happy hour and they love to complain and say, yeah, you know, well, I should have this. Why doesn't the government do that? And yet when it comes to getting off their derriere, like really pushing for those things, they're nowhere to be found. So I'm wondering why it is that like we seem to be a country of very, of people who have a strong sense of entitlement, fair enough. And yet they're not really willing to, I guess, throw a tantrum or not willing to really push hard enough for the things that they think that they're entitled to, which then begets the question, do they really feel like they're entitled to those things or do they just feel like complaining? <laughs> well, I think it's very natural. To, I mean, pe- pe- people love complaining. It doesn't yeah. really, they love complaining. So I don't see why politics would be any difference. You know, and, um, but now when you say that we feel entitled to certain things, especially in a political level or a national level, and we put those officials in to make those, to make those, uh, those perceived entitlements a reality. Right, realities we and if we, often it fails right they end up making you know some crazy statements here and there and saying how it wasn't possible or give them a couple they need one more term one <laughs> <laughs> and we're uh yeah it's because and you know here's the thing with with, with the americas it, it's assist the system helps the promise the, the endless promising is a very is it's a very interesting thing if you believe that, if you believe that, if this guy doesn't fulfill it, the next guy will. What you're doing is you're you're setting your hope on tomorrow, and that's hope. Hope is very important because hope doesn't. When you have hope, you don't take drastic measures. Hope, hope kind of pacifies you, because if you thought this guy's going to be here forever, doesn't look like he's doing jack squat. His son didn't do jack squat, and his son before him did jack squat. Right. So his father before his 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 his, his father before him did the jack squad. Well, we got to take matters into our, own, into our own hands, bro. Right. So, and so it becomes very dangerous because there's no hope. But where there's hope, where there's hope, we wait patiently. There's often this patience, right? So, um, I think uh, I think we don't fight for those entitlements often because we believe, well, if it doesn't work, since this is a civilized society, right? If it doesn't work this time, it will certainly work next time. I, I like your transition from entitlement to hope because hope is both positive and negative. Hope is positive because it keeps us motivated. It keeps us like striving towards a goal. Like, you know, I am hopeful this will get better. Therefore, I'm still going to go to work. I'm still going to do X, Y, and Z because I'm hopeful that, you know, there'll be a better future for myself and my children. Hope also becomes poisonous when it's being used to just keep you complacent. And I can kind of see, like, I see, this is the weird thing, man, is that if I, if I, I'm actually very hopeful. I, you know, I I do, I am hopeful about us as a species. However, I do sometimes err. There's a cynical dark side of me that does say that perhaps hope is being used as a mechanism to kind of just keep us complacent. And I'm wondering, do you think in the next 10 years, like people are going to discover 
the real hope from the complacent hope? Do you think people are on the verge of discovering that? Or do you think that, you know, they're still, they're still drinking the medicine? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, I think it's natural for human beings to want to hope. And I think our democratic system provides that, um, provides that perfect situation, if not perfect, near perfect situation for hope to continue. Now, whether people, whether in the next 10 years, people are going to say, you know what, this may not be real hope. I think that uh, times are too good. Even if, even with all our desire for entitlement, times are good. In the sense of, we often think that the, you know, that our, that we're in a time of suffering. No, we're not. Compared to the rest of the world and compared to the times of our fathers and our father, the fathers before them, we're in a very good, very good space, mate. The times are good. No one's, you know, it's hard to find people that are starving in this country. It's hard to find people that are, you know, um, um, that are being quote unquote, you know, um, oppressed to the point of death. It's hard to find people who are, my point is simply that times are too good for there to be any kind of a realization. There's a situation I believe Lewis describes once where a man is about to have a very profound thought, a thought that will change his life, a thought that will change the course of his life forever. But then he says to himself, you know what, let me go have lunch first and then I'll pursue this thought. <laughs> <laughs> right and you know and and the luxury is that you can have a sandwich right so if, yeah if you have a sandwich coming your way nothing it can't be that much of an emergency it doesn't matter it doesn't matter who cares about that like yeah I'll, the thought's gonna be there right so so it's like that's how we are right now we're living in a place of sandwiches we live in a place of lunches and we push away these thoughts because it's just not important right now we can you know, we can play games. We can do whatever we need to do. I, I think I, I love your last sentiment because um, you're a very brave man for saying that. Like how many people would admit that, you know, like, so in terms of absolute terms, if we look at the, the course of all of human history, Neolithic revolution, Middle Ages, we are pretty darn good, man. We, we are pretty darn good. Like when it gets cold at night and I can turn on the heat, I, I do, you know, because I'm knowledgeable in history, I know what a, an accomplishment that is. And I'm like, man, yeah. yeah, it is a huge accomplishment to have heat in my apartment. It's a huge accomplishment that when I turn on the faucet, clean water comes out. Um, but then there are those who are stuck in what we call like relative desire or relative entitlement, where mm. they'll say things like, well, you know, it was better 40 years ago. Okay. You know, I could afford a bigger house or I you know, my wages kept off with the cost of, of living, right? So on one hand, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, man, I'm kind of torn to pieces because on one hand, I do live in a super gratitude. And maybe this comes from being a history teacher, where I live in a, I personally live with super gratitude. Like I read, you know, Dostoevsky, I read Solzhenitsyn, I read all of these books. And I'm like, man, compared to these guys eating rats and and like sleeping on like wooden beds i got it good like i i lay in my mattress at night and i i do sometimes think about what solzhenitsyn had to sleep on or whatever and i'm like man i am living with with pretty pretty much privilege i then sometimes though however I am listening to like left-wing media and I do say, you know what, maybe my parents did have it a little bit better or you know what, I, I think we can afford to give people health care. I actually don't have the answer as to what the correct feeling is. Should I live with like this sense of gratitude at all times 
or is it is, is it wrong to kind of give into my relative desire at all? Does that make me selfish or ungrateful? Like, what's the right balance here? Because I, I do think that we have an imperative to improve as a species. But at the other, at, at the same point, though, I, I do think it's, you know, you should be grateful for what you have. So I'm, I'm kind of, I don't have the answer, man. Help me out. Well, you know, I, I don't, I can't <laughs> say that I have the answer for anybody apart from myself. But he's, because one of those, it's one of those things that, Usually, based on one's temperaments, one is going to gravitate towards one thing or the other. But I would say that I find it far more—I find it far more rewarding, or should I say, importance? Actually, so I use the proper word for this. It doesn't really reward me much, but it's important um, to to be grateful because I'm—I think that I'm coming from a place, especially. Um, I came to the United States when I was 19 years old. I'd seen my country uh, in 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 its best and in its worst. And from the city to the villages, and I, and I know what it's like. I know what it's what it's like for, for people to not have running water or hot running, even hot water, let alone running water. People have to walk a great deal of great a great distance to fetch water, to take a shower, and so forth. And yeah, when you have to boil your water before you drink it, and so forth. So I think it's far better to be grateful, because first of all. Gratitude does not mean you're placid and um, how you say complacent. Um, complacent. It just means you're. You mean it's an actually. You just understand where you are, and you understand that the things you've been given, you're not really entitled to them, but you have them nonetheless. That's a good thing. Now, if you're constantly comparing your present with the past, or the, the you know the good old days, right? It's always a, just. It's usually. I would say. I would say it's usually a, a, a misconception because the good old days aren't always as good as we imagine them to be. They weren't. But even if they were, let's just say you were, you could buy a house back then, five shillings and a and a peanut. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so yeah, let's say you could do that. Okay. That's great. Today, you can't. And you're living in today, mate. Today's today, right? So what's the point of living back then? Today's today. So there's only there's no time like the presence, and you can you can only do you can only do what you can do. So I would say that gratitude is far more important because it deals with today. It deals with the fact that you are where you are and things are not as bad as they could be. Things are actually pretty good and lighten up. You deal with your presence. You deal with your presence as best as you can. Of course, it's not going to be, it's not going to be perfect, but it's 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 um it has its perks. I think you touched on a very important distinction here, and I'll be the first to admit it. Us, us, you know, I was born in America, and us Americans, we are entitled. I, I will one hundred percent grant you that. I think the happiest people on the face of the earth are people who. Uh, migrated to the U.S. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying from like the Netherlands or something, but it, people who came to the U.S. and experienced like a huge increase in their wealth and prosperity. I think they are like the happiest people whatsoever. And it's not, and it's not because they're necessarily better people. It's just that their spectrum of suffering is much longer. You know what I mean? If you're born in America, your baseline is already at a certain level. Like, oh, I'm, I, I, I take 
you know, heat and clean drinking water and PlayStation 4 for granted, right? If you're, if you're just born in America, you take having a smartphone, PlayStation, heat, and all of this stuff for granted. So if there's any kind of dip in your prosperity, you're the first to complain. Whereas people born on, you know, in, you know, in other parts of the world, they have a much longer spectrum. Like they're, they're, their bandwidth, or I can't even think of the right word here, is much longer. So they can kind of stack up their childhood to where they are now and be like, whoa, I, I'm still way, way, way better off than I was, you know, when I was eight years old. And I think, I, I think that's a wonderful, you know, I, I think that's awesome. I want to run by this scenario to you, and I want to see what you think about it. And I, I, I think you're a good person to ask because your, your spectrum is a lot longer than mine. I knew a guy who was in grad school and he didn't have health insurance and he was right he was riding his bike to work one day and he fell off his, he fell off his bike and he broke his arm and he kind of had to you know he just didn't have the money like if he had gone to the hospital it would have wrecked him so he kind of had to continue working with that broken arm and then the broken arm kind of like healed but you know, incorrectly, like if you have a broken arm and you don't immediately get it repaired, then it can, it can kind of like, um, heal in the wrong way or something like that. Right. And on one hand, my like compassion neurons were triggered, like, come on, like, we can't just get this guy's arm fixed. Like he's a productive member of society. He was on his way to work and whatnot. Like, like, you know, and again, like, like some people might call me in Entitled, like Aaron, you're entitled. You know, you're not entitled to have your your broken arm fixed. Okay, fine, fair enough. But there is like a there is like a compassionate heartstring that's ringing at me. Like, can we just get this guy's arm fixed so he can move on with his life? Again, there is a part of me that says that. There are other people that would just say, well, you know, a broken arm is a broken arm. You can't force a doctor to repair it for free, or the government shouldn't has. You know, it's not the government's responsibility to fix your broken arm. And again, as, as an entitled, I'll be the first to admit it, as an entitled spoiled American, I'm sort of leaning on the like, just fix his arm for, for you know, like, can't we just fix his arm so that he can continue being a productive member? I'm curious to think, what does somebody with a much longer spectrum think of that issue? It, it does that fall into the, like the clean drinking water territory or is it still kind of like an American privilege? Well. So I think, you know, there are some countries that do that, that the government has chosen to, of course, taxes are not, no joke in many of those countries. But the government has chosen to repair, would have chosen to repair that out because that's their policy, right? So just like your government provides you drinking water, but no repairing of arms, another government has chosen to provide you drinking water and the repairing of a broken arm. So it all depends on the, it all depends on your nation. If your nation is willing to do it, then fine, your nation is willing to do it. Now, I know that in America, that's something that is very, you know, that's just something that people have been fighting for and against for a very long time. But, but that's the thing is that in America, there is no, there is, your government doesn't do that. And so it's up to the individual. If somebody, so for example, you being the lad there, you saw, you saw, you like, you, you saw that you're like, man, we got to fix this guy's arm, right? Well, that's you. And that's not necessarily not a, that's not a bad thing. That's you. So if you had the money, you would do it. I would hope so, right? So you would say, hey, man, 
Um, why don't I take it to the hospital? The bill's on me. Let's fix this kitchen. Um, done, done up. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. That's a good thing. That's a neighbor helping a neighbor. That's that's a citizen helping a citizen. That's brother to brother. That's good, right? That's that's what makes that's what make makes a country beautiful. That's what makes a country great. So you look at you know but the problem now goes when you say okay somebody else needs to do this, right? Just because I can't, somebody else needs to do this. Now where that's where that gets that's where it gets really dicey. Because what's going on is, you know, as if one citizen cannot force a fellow citizen on equal bar, equal level, to do something he or she does not want to do, that's not good. Because next thing you know, what's going to happen is the, the, what's going to happen. The question, the question is then, you know, who do we force to do this? What citizen do we force to do this? So how many groups of citizens do we force to do this? So if the government steps in and says, okay, this is a new policy, uh, maybe the people have pushed for it for a long time and they finally, you know, they finally rally, rally the troops and they win. So let's do this and it's, it's time for us to start fixing broken arms. Then fine, absolutely, I think this, that's, then that's a citizen's right, according to the government. That's, that's, that's an entitlement that every citizen absolutely then, then deserves because the government has said they deserve it. Um, but... Until your government is willing to do that, it gets really dicey. There's the, 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 the responsibility, quote unquote, responsibility only falls simply to the individual who is willing to do it. I, I think you're right in the sense that I, I think if we took a gun to a doctor's head and said, you will repair that person's arm, something is being violated in, in some way, perhaps that like this doctor has a profession, they have the skills and, and that's like a uh, like a compulsory sort of action some people might say oh well you know if he doesn't repair the arm that's violating the hippocratic oath it's it's a it's a complicated moral question i want to play with a hypothetical here and i'm going to make you an absolute monarch how does that sound kenny would you like to be an absolute monarch with all of my hearts <laughs> all right so we got we got the uh kingdom of kenny here you're the absolute monarch okay Emperor Kenny. Emperor. Oh, Emperor. Yeah, I like Emperor. Emperor means you've got multiple territories under your your, your jurisdiction here. So Emperor Kenny is in charge, right? You have to make the call of like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to raise everyone's taxes. I'm going to raise a bit from the poor. I'm going to raise the middle class tax. And I'm definitely going to raise the tax on the ultra wealthy, just like Europe. Mm. And everyone's going to pay more taxes. And then we're going to have the universal health care, and if you fall down off your bike, you can instantly get your arm repaired. Now, forget about what the people want, because you're an absolute monarch. You don't have to really care about what the people want. You're just, you're in charge, and you've got two buttons there. Do you raise the taxes and create the universal uh, health care program, or mm-hmm. do you say, ah, just, I'm going to let the people keep their money, whether they're rich, whether they're middle class, or whether they're poor, and you're on your own. What would you do as an absolute monarch? I set fire to the entire kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, back to it. Let's see. Um, if I were to give them the, into the, the health care, what would be imperative for me to do would be to make sure that it's fair in the sense that it shouldn't cost, it shouldn't cost people. It really, I, I have to find a way to do it so it doesn't cost 
certain people more. And it does not infringe on, on the livelihoods of those who couldn't even afford it in the first place, right? So um, I would say that it really does depend. I could see myself absolutely doing it, not even raising taxes, but finding a way to, to get her done. Um, because it's fine for a citizen, it's fine for the people of a of the citizens of a nation, of an empire, um, to have that kind of access to medicine, to medication, to medicine, to so forth, right? And it shows the wealth, it shows the grandeur of the empire, and it shows the, how you say, I would say the, the, the graciousness of the king. So if I were to do that, I would make sure that it would be a, not that I know the economics of this fiction, you know, fiction, this, this fictional kingdom, but we would say, yeah, we would do it, but I don't think taxes have to be touched at all. But let's say that I said every politician ever. <laughs> There's a way. There's a way. It's possible, especially if you're living in terms of empire. You conquer other nations and they pay for it. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so the points simply being that, yeah, I think it's possible. I think it's. I think yeah, I can see myself doing it. See, I can also see myself not doing it because. Autonomy is, I mean, I would say autonomy is a very important thing when it comes to nations. Autonomy is a very important thing when it comes to, when it comes to uh, um, um, citizenship, right? Being able to, like, for example, when we were talking about earlier, being able to take care of yourself, but also take care of your brothers is a pretty important thing. But I would say that it's, it's a, the best situation would be for it to work, to work back and forth in the sense of you have, you have a way of, of, of implementing both systems. For those who cannot take care of themselves, there is a way for them to be taken care of. For those who can take care of themselves, well, they can take care of themselves. I listened to what you said, and I'm going to now take the context back in terms of a, a democratic, let's say a democratic president or something like that. This is what I think is actually missing from the equation. I think when we talk about things like universal health care or homelessness, we kind of talk about it in a very abstract way and we never get down to brass tacks. So here's something that I think would be fair. Let's just say I'm running for office. I'm running for president. Okay. Yes. And I want to give people, even though it's up to Congress to, to, to pass this, let's just say I say as president, I'm going to do everything in my power to give every citizen uh, universal health care. Yes. I think the fair thing to do is to actually release some kind of document, some kind of PDF document, or put it on my website of how much taxes are going to go up for people at every income strata. Okay. So if you're making $35,000 a year, your taxes are going to go up by this. If you're making $90,000, your, uh, your taxes are going to go up by that and so forth. And then if the people elect me, then I would see that as consent because I've now given you the full facts of how much more taxes you're going to have to pay in order to get this thing accomplished. Where I think it gets a little fishy 
is that we have a lot of people running and promising to end homelessness, promising to end, uh, promising to provide universal health care, but they never ever release the PDF document of like how much taxes are going to go up for everybody because they know it's going to be kind of unpopular. Whereas I think if we if we are if we're really debating whether we're entitled to something or not entitled to something, you got to release the PDF document because. If you went to a store, you know, one of the most shady things I've ever seen when I go to a store is, have you ever gone to a store and you see something, but there's no price tag next to it? And then you go to, you do that, and the guy just scratches his chin and says, $6.50. You're like, really? If I was someone else, would you have said $5? Would you have said $4? Would you have said $10.50? That's kind of shady right there. I think the way that we can actually decide, <laughs> I think the way that we can actually decide if we want something or not want something is if there's a PDF file that has the exact price of how much more in taxes people are going to have to pay. And then if they elect that person, that that I would see is like, I would I would actually classify that as consent of the governed because they know they know the cost and now they're deciding to, to, to pay those costs. That's what I think is missing from all of this, because if people really want health care, if they really don't want to see any homeless people on the street, fair and dandy, let's put a final price tag on this. And I think I think the fact that we don't put a price tag on any of this stuff and it's just talked about at a very abstract level actually kind of muddies the water It actually distorts what people do or do not want. Yeah, but that's human nature. So we, we, we won all these things. Actually, I saw this video recently um, by a journalist, two, two journalists, one of them one of them a New York Times guy, talking about how blue states actually turn out to be the most, um, how you say, unprogressive states. Yeah, I like, saw it. It's a New York Times like YouTube clip. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. yeah like, it, ter- it turns out that they love preaching what you know, they love preaching and saying that you know the reds the the republicans are trying to stop them from you know implementing these wonderful progressive ideas but when they do have the power they do nothing this is to me i looked i saw the video and i rolled my eyes because i just i don't care it's it's just not to me that's like i could have told you that without even doing the research could have told you that because we were dealing with here is human nature you're doing what you're dealing with human beings and human beings don't change. We're the same everywhere. We're, every, we're, we're always the same. So here's the beautiful thing about people who want, who often want the healthcare or people who don't want the healthcare money. It's, it's money. That's what, that's what combines. That's what unites them both. Right. We want to, we want the healthcare, but we want somebody else to pay for it. We don't want to cut. Cause if you, if we see how much it's going to cost us personally, we're gonna be oh my goodness screw that we'll never say it out loud of course not we'll still go to the rallies we'll still go to the marches we'll still raise our fists and have our signs but we know we ain't paying jack squats (laughs) because it's going to cost us an arm and a leg it's going to hurt us personally and so we say tax the rich because like we say it's not going to hurt them as much as it's going to hurt me tax the rich it's it's like dude it's their money they've earned that money so I say, I say, man, at the end of the day, people, people want things as long as it's from somebody else's pocket. As long as somebody else is going to pay for it, that's, that's, that's when we really want it. But when, we, when, it, when it turns out that we win, 
and we want to, and we 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 have to pay for it. It it, it turns into all, all kinds of problems. This is the way humans are. We want the world until it costs us anything. Once it costs us something, we don't want it anymore. We just want to sit down, eat our potato chips, and count our dollar bills. And I'm if I'm I'm not saying I'm saying that's fine. Just admit that. Stop pretending to be something you're not. Admit that. I, I like this because now now we've crossed over from politics back to philosophy, which is where I think we truly belong here. And I think there is something very hypocritical about human nature because we love, you know, we, we love playing this role of, of, of the virtuous man. We love playing it until we actually have to act the role of the of the virtuous man. And I think it's a, I think it's a question of like, do we have to somehow call people? Because this is why I think a two-page PDF file would actually solve this problem pretty darn quickly. Because it's easy to promise universal health care. Like, let's let's just be honest. When it comes to human nature, it's really easy to promise stuff in which there's no expectation of delivery. I, and I think of deadbeat fathers who are like, yes, son, I'm going to take you to Disney World and blah, blah. And, you know, like just never happens, right? The dad loves to make these fake promises, but then he actually ends up destroying the child because he's promising Disney World and all this other fantasy. And then he never, yeah. and then he never delivers upon it. And I kind of see, I kind of see that same hypocrisy with people living in blue states where they promise universal health care. They promise to take all the homeless people off the street, but there's never that two-page PDF document that says, okay, this is what it's actually going to cost. Let's go ahead and put this to a vote and let's actually do it. So the fact that all of the promises and entitlement remain hanging in this very abstract bubble means that they never actually, you, you, give, them, you give them the benefit of feeling good by making false promises, but then you never hold their feet to the fire and make them deliver upon those false promises. Yeah. So a good friend of mine talks about this. He says that you, what you're doing is you're using the promise to cash out, right? So you're cashing out on the emotions that you want the person to feel towards you, but never really having to deliver on the promise. So when, if, instead of saying, hey, I'll take you to Disney World, just take them to Disney World. But that's, let's just say that's, but that's never going to happen or that's five months ahead, right? Well, you want those emotions to be felt now and you want to be seen as the guy right now. So you make the promise today. You see that? And so this is manipulation. Politics and manipulation are go hand in hand. Humans will manipulate is what we do. But you would think that by now humans would, you know, we'd wisen up. Well, no, we don't. We, we, uh, we, 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 how was the word? Um, effusively nod our heads and say, uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. And, uh, and the person just gets away with it over and over and over again. But it's, it's human. It's, what, it's really, what, unless your mind, unless you've trained your mind to be actual, to be, you know, to be grounded in reality, to question everything. In my mind, no one is above, no one is above scrutiny. That's not myself, not a pastor, not a policeman, not a judge. Not my closest friend, not my wife, not my son. Nobody's above scrutiny, because everything needs to be seen clearly, as it actually is. Yes, it has to be seen clearly, because if you're not seen clearly, and you're not seen clearly for yourself, 
you're in a you're, you're in for a world of hurt. You're in for a world of trouble. I, I like that you use the M word, manipulation. I think there's a lot of entitlement manipulation that is going on in our society today. Like, and it's just it's just as you describe that people are reaping the emotional benefits of feeling like a good person without actually having to be like a, a good person. You know, I, I'm, I'm in the process of reading um, Benjamin Franklin's autobiography, and he talks about a gentleman, there was this quote unquote rich gentleman uh, who promised to like finance his printing press and, oh yeah, I'm going to give you letters of credit. I'm going to help you out or whatever. And you know, years go by and the guy never delivers upon his promise to finance Ben Franklin's printing press. And then Franklin later finds out that that guy himself was in tons of debt and, and was just making false promises left and right in order to feel really, really, really good about himself. So yeah. we have a lot of people in this world that are playing this game of like, I want to feel like a good person. I want to feel important. I want people to love me but I'm never going to tether myself to an actual promise. You know, like I'll, I'll say it on the record here, as small as my paycheck is, I would personally, personally be willing to pay $200 a month in taxes for universal healthcare. I'll actually, I'll actually put a number on as tiny as my paycheck is. I'm at least willing to tether myself to a number. Whereas most people, whether they're rich, middle-class and above, they're not willing to do that. Yeah, I mean, most people, yeah, most people, poor, rich, average, don't, if, if it's, it's just don't touch mine, don't touch my wallet. And here's the problem. The problem is not that they feel that way, because that is a legitimate and understandable feeling. Nobody wants to be bamboozled. No one wants to, no one wants to have less money than they could have. So it's, it's understandable. The question is not, the question is, why aren't you honest about it? Why aren't you honest about it? Why aren't you honest about it? Because when push comes to shove, you behave as though you're, you're a cornered rat. So, you know, when people tell me, when people tell me that they have certain ideals, like okay, I have Republican ideas, you know, conservative ideals and liberal ideals. Like, I don't care. Listen, mate, I don't care. Like, you're both the same thing. You're like the same person. You scream and shout when you hear something that doesn't necessarily agree with your own ideas you don't listen you're a fighter and a scratcher you're not really a human being you're like a you're like a wombat you're like a crazed wombat you know like you're both the same you both say say things that are hypocritical you both behave hypocritically you both feel with so much hatred and anger and wickedness it's it's ridiculous you know it's just it's the same thing. I'm, I'm dealing with the same person, just with different stripes as well. I, I fully agree with you. I, I do think that the Republicans and the Democrats are roughly the same stripe, but there is a bit of uh, distinction in how they present themselves. And I want, I want you to correct me if you think I'm saying something wrong here. So when it comes to health care, uh, removing homeless people from the street, a Republican or a libertarian will just outwardly say, no, I don't believe in that, or no, you're on your own, or I just don't believe in that. Maybe charity should take over, but it's not the role of the government to, to do that. Would you say that? I'm generalizing, but would you say that's like a fair assessment? Um, it's I, I, 
It's generalizing, yeah, but I think I think the idea is correct. Yeah, I would say that, yeah, if they, ultimately they would say that, yeah. Okay, yeah, and not all Republicans and Libertarians are created equal, so I'm just kind of throwing that as a blanket generalization. Wicked, wicked, yeah. Okay, now Democrats would say we ought to, you know, give every homeless person a roof over their head, we ought to give everyone universal health care insurance, especially in these blue cities that we just talked about. However, they'll never put a definitive price tag on it. They'll never release like a comprehensive three-page PDF file that shows how much your taxes will go up. And they're kind of in the business, they're kind of in the business of false promises. So in my opinion, I think as much as it's hard for us to hear a Republican say, no, I don't believe people are entitled to that. I think that there is some truth in that, whereas the Democrat is kind of promising you something that they're not willing to deliver upon, which is perhaps even worse because you're giving somebody a degree of false hope. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of like, you know, the the, the Republicans or your, um, they're kind of like that. They're like the responsible uncle, right? They're the uncle who says, well, you know, here's what we're going to do. Uh, you're going to live with me for a couple of months and, you know, you do dishes, you do your work, your chores. I give you a little allowance every now and then. Um, I expect you to have certain rules. I expect you to follow in this house. And uh, just a very strict uncle um, and very organized uncle, right? So that's so it is. And then the Republicans are kind of like, you know, they're like the... Uh, uh, the crazy uncle, <laughs> you know, he wears like shorts and like a singlets and he comes out, you know, and he's always telling you, saying wonderful things about, you know, how he's always very encouraging, very encouraging. Um, but you can't really squeeze a penny out of him for one reason or the other. He just can't, you know, it's like, but you like him because he's an encouraging guy, he's just fun to be around. But he's, I would say that for the Democrats, it's really, it really is a lot of false promises. And um, not, and it's very interesting because I'm not saying that all, to me, as far as I know, all politicians, all politicians are capable of making false promises, whether Democrat or Republican, doesn't matter. Um, but you find that most of the crazy, most not crazy, but most of the difficult um, promises to keep um, and to actually, to, to actualize, fall often on the on the side of the um, Democrats. Okay, so I, I want to say a few things here. Um, I think from a moral standpoint, never promise something that you're not willing to deliver upon. Now, as much and as cold and as hard as what Republic, you know, what Republicans say, it's at least truthful. They're like, I don't believe that you should have that. You should just not have it. And you could disagree with that and be like, well, I, I beg to differ, but they're at least telling you as a matter of factly. Like I, we just believe that this should not be the case. Okay. Whereas the person who is promising you things falsely or in jest is actually committing the greater sin because they're filling your heart with false hope. They're filling you with, you know, all of these things. However, when push comes to shove, you know, it's kind of like in the cartoons where that guy just like says, I will, uh, dinner is on me. I'm paying for everything. The waiter comes, the check is delivered, and then they kind of um, pull out their pockets and some like mothballs fall out. And they're like, I, I got a like a, I got a coupon to Denny's in here. You know, is that going to work? Right. <laughs> and 
you actually hate that person more. You in the in the short term, you end up loving that person because they promise you everything. But in the long term, you end up resenting and hating that person more because they filled your heart with something and then they never delivered upon it. Whereas the person who just says no from the onset, you hate in the beginning, and you may continue to hate them, but at least they just said no from the onset. So I think that's where we're at with these two political parties. Yeah, as far as, as for my, my good man, I think that's a wicked assessment. I think it's a bloody wicked assessment. Yeah. So my question is, is how do we get people, how do we get the Democrats out of the realm of false promises or at least, at least admit like, hey, we just can't afford this thing. Like, they, they, I think there has to come, there has to be two things have to happen. One, they have to release the comprehensive PDF file of here's how much it's going to cost. Here's the reality of the situation. Or it's, you know, yeah, you know, we're broke. We, we just, we can't, we can't have those nice things. It's just, it's just not going to work. What, what, the, what, what is it going to take for the truth to come out? Because I, I, you know, I love, I love the phrase like that, you know, the truth always prevails. The truth will always come out. Do you think that we are on the verge of the truth coming out? Or do you think that we can still kind of, you know, ride high on the tides of false promises? Well, um, if anything, I'm, I think the human beings are, if, 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 if anything, if we're good at anything, we're good at lying. We're incredibly good at lying. You know, the old saying, um, how does it go? Um, if Big Brother says it, it's true. So it, it's, it's, it's one of those things that, uh, the, that often happens in politics where no one ever admits they're wrong. And they always have a good excuse, a good reason for why they, were, they weren't wrong in the first place. Mm-hmm. So whether, whether collectively people will realize that, no, you know, maybe, maybe these, these, maybe they're, we're being lied to. It's very difficult, very difficult, very difficult to, um, um, to get behind. But I do believe that individuals every now and then wake up and say, hey, no, this is, something's off here. Something's strange, you know? Um, so I don't know that we can get people, especially the politicians themselves, who love their power and their, their you know, accolades to admit they're wrong. I mean, an, an, uh, an, an average Joe can barely admit to his son that he was wrong, let alone a politician to an entire nation. Are you crazy? <laughs> no, I mean, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, this is, this okay, is... but there, there's a little, there's something kind of weird going on here because let's say crazy uncle comes. Crazy uncle says, I'm buying you an Xbox. I'm buying you this, that, and that. When he doesn't deliver on his promises, the kid is going to go up to crazy uncle and said, Uncle Joey, you promised me an Xbox and you haven't given me an Xbox. And then you're making Uncle Joey feel awkward, right? You're, you're making him feel awkward and this and that. Whereas when our democratic, you know, Uncle Joey's out there promise us all these things, we never actually hold them accountable and said, you promise this or that. We kind of just say, nah, politicians lie. It is what it is, which me, which kind of says to me, like that kid who is holding Uncle Joey responsible really wants that Xbox. That's why he's making it awkward. Why is it that we as citizens don't make our Uncle Joey's, aka our politicians, feel just as awkward when they promise things they don't deliver upon? Well, we do. Some of us do. And so Uncle Joey says, well, you know, it's your Uncle Phil's fault. Uh, he's he's taken all of the inheritance, kid. You know, like he cut me off um, the money that, you know, the money that I was supposed to inherit. Well, he took it all from me. So it's his fault. And the kid turns, you know, falls, you know, feels feels closer to Uncle, Uncle, uh, Uncle Joey. 
and uh, hits the other guy. <laughs> that's that's usually what happens. It's that's usually what happens. Like it's the other side's fault. The reason you're not getting these things is because their policies, because what they're doing, because this and that, right? And we like we like uh, like sheep people say uh huh uh huh uh huh uh huh uh huh, and um and we 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 drop the charges. We drop we drop we 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 um we pretty much. We, should, we, we let them off the hook because it's not their fault. So what, what are we going to do? And we love to hate. So you give us an opportunity to hate somebody and, and make ourselves feel better, good about hating them because they deny us and the world goods, natural rights, you know, entitlements. Then, yeah, we would we, absolutely love to, we, we, we will, we will, we love to hate other people and other, and, and I think it, it's super simple for us. Okay, but, but here's the thing with this. Um, you had Uncle Joey, and who was the other uncle you mentioned? I forget. I, 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 okay. I forget. So we, we'll we have, okay, so we have like, we have the one uncle who promises nothing, right? He absolutely promises nothing. And then Uncle Joey is the one who's promising absolutely everything. I can't go to the other uncle and complain because he told me from the onset, I'm not giving you anything. So I can't really complain to him because from the beginning, he warned me he wasn't giving me anything. So in my head, I'm just like, well, I got to pile on on Uncle Joey here because he's the one making the promises. So the other uncle did not promise me anything. So I don't know why that works. Like, I don't even know why we bother going to the other uncle who promised us nothing when our frustration should be directed towards the uncle that promised everything. And That's because you're thinking about it like a reasonable human being. Mm. You're thinking about it with reason, with you're, you're, you're being rational. This is not how the rest of the world thinks. We think on a very emotional level in the sense of, We've Uncle Uncle Joe has made us that promise. We're emotionally invested in him now. We're connected, right? And now we come to him to to claim the promise, and he turns our emotions towards another. But this time it's an emotion of hate. So we now we feel closer to him because we commiserate on the fact that both of us don't have what we want, and we have now we have a face. We have an enemy, and he says to us, he says, "Okay, now we don't have what we want, and it's not." It's not my fault. It's this other guy's fault, and so because of the because of the initial you know commiseration, because of the initial emotional attachment to them, we immediately, without reason, without without critical thinking, without explanation any further, all right, it's the other guy's fault. Screw it, damn it, let's get him. You know. <laughs> so there's something. So, there's something I love what you're saying here. So Uncle Joey. It's quite evil in a way because Uncle Joey wants to feel good. He wants to feel loved. So he promises everything. Yeah. And then he gets that. And then obviously Uncle Joey can't deliver. So what Uncle Joey does is he points to some other guy, right? And says, man, Uncle Joey would deliver, but it's this mean old monster, this mean old troll that lives under the bridge that's preventing Uncle Joey from becoming the next Santa Claus. And now Uncle Joey is pulling at your heartstrings. He's emotionally getting you in. And now you're like, yeah, it's that mean old troll. If it wasn't for the mean old troll, Uncle Joey would become Santa Claus and deliver everything we want. There's something fiendishly evil in all of this, actually. This is because this is, and you're right, people are not actually using their thinking caps right now. They're completely pulled in by Uncle Joey's emotional appeal. Yeah, and this is this is why, you know, when you say evil, I think there is a, there's a great evil here. I think you're absolutely right. Lie, so there are two types of people that 
no, no, like they don't know when to stop. And they often, they often end up destroying themselves and others. These are liars and cowards. Like every other vice, every other vice, it, it, th there is a point where a person says, maybe it's too much. <laughs> maybe it's too much. But these ones are so addictive and so they're, 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 they're so, it's like rapture. You're caught in it and you, you, you can't even help yourself, you know. Liars and cowards end up taking themselves down to Sheol and taking and, 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 and putting many other people in chains. And so if we thought about it critically, as you, my friend, have done, if we thought, if thought about it critically, we know that a person is responsible for what they say. And what you say, you say that, you're responsible for it. You can't at last minute change the blame, all right? And then it just takes a little bit of research and you find out, okay, you've actually squandered your inheritance back. Like he was giving it to you. Like the documents are there. You squandered yours, now you want someone else's. So, but we're, we're, we're our emotions, we, we love our side, you know, we love our side. It's our side, it's our people. There is no questioning because, because it's our people. And that's how all kinds of troubles start. Do you think to, to, to play, to give a little fairness to the Democrats, do you think that there are, you know, amongst the Uncle Joey's out there, do you think that there's a real Uncle Joey that if, if, if given the power, he would in fact deliver upon the things that he's promising, but there is a legitimate impediment preventing him from doing such. So I think, I think, I think amongst the Uncle Joey's, there's fake Uncle Joey's who promise you everything with no intention on delivering. But then there might be a real Uncle Joey in that mix who does want to deliver, but there are like structural, you know, impediments that are preventing him from delivering. Do you think maybe it's a question of filtering out who's the, who's real on their promises and who's fake? Well, yeah, absolutely. I would say that. But if the promises cannot even be attained on a collective level, like we're from a collective level, because I think on an individual level, you can anybody can do this, right? You can, on an individual on an individual level, a person can help a, home, a homeless man to find to get his to get his feet um, um, get some ground underneath them. On an individual level, a person can take one person to a hospital and pay for their bills. On an individual level. One person can take a kid who had no opportunity for education and bring him into a place where there's an abundance of learning and knowledge. So on an individual level, people can achieve this. They can accomplish this because it's possible. I think that's where, that's where, that's where it ought to be. But now the question becomes, is it possible to achieve this? Is it possible to achieve this on a, on a collective level, on a legislative level and not cross any lines? And even and 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 yeah, and, and across any lines, is is it possible? And uh, that that, my good man, is what I don't know. That I don't, I, I I doubt it. So if anybody's willing and able to accomplish this, they have to be straightforward and show exactly how it's going to be done. You, I like the way you say, put some numbers. Let's show us some numbers, so that we know what what we're up against. So I think there might be absolutely there might be wonderful real uncle joe's out there who are one um more than willing to give it a shot and um but they have to be honest people because if they find that the, if they find that the, this 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 endeavor is not possible at least as far as they know as far as as far as they plan on it being um, being the case then it has to be honest with that
I like what you said about it happening on the individual level. And I think you may have stumbled upon the solution there. One thing about these Uncle Joey's out there is that they're too darn rich. So if you believe, for example, like 50% of your income should be siphoned off, you know, for healthcare, for to make sure that no one is homeless anymore, then you should be a walking exemplar of that lifestyle. And I, I think that, that 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 is like what I would call, because you're right, on a legislative process, right, in a, in a collective legislative process, there might be legitimate, you know, impair, uh, impediments that prevent you from actually fulfilling what you're promising. Do you, do you hear that? Can you hear that? That's the sound. No, no, that's the sound of politicians in D.C. rolling in their graves. <laughs> that's, the, that's the sound that's the sound of guns being cocked and ready and just coming for you because what you're saying what you're saying is don't be a hypocrite right so I, that's not something people want to hear well i want to see the politician like look like i'll give you an example of this okay all of these politicians speak about not taking corporate money and all this other stuff but they drive like really nice cars and they live in really big houses I want to see. I want to see poor politicians. I want to see them riding the subway. I want to see them, legitimately on that individual level, even if it doesn't get them anywhere, even if it doesn't make any change. I want to see you look. I want to see you wearing an old Salvation Army jacket. I want to see you walking the walk, and then and then I can trust you because I I can't like I just I don't understand how it is that we're trusting people who live like kings. That, that's what I don't understand about us as, as, as a people. Like, how naive are we that we're trusting people that drive fancy cars, live in big houses, you know, wear like fancy Gucci, you know, if they, you know, whatever, Gucci belt or whatever it is that they do. It's like, why, why don't we trust these people? Like, I don't, I don't understand what, like in real life, in our real life encounters, in real life, if someone borrowed $3,000 for you and then the next day you saw them driving a new car, you'd be like, I want my $3,000 back. You promised that you were going to, you, you said you were going to use that for your medical bill. And here you are buying a new $3,000 car. You would call them out on their crap. You know, there's actually a great SNL skit where someone borrows money for, you know, to get their life back in order and they end up buying a Lexus. It's, it's kind of funny, but that's what we would do in real life. Someone borrows money from you. If you caught them, you know, spending it on amusement parks and cars, you'd call them out on it. Why don't we do the same with our politicians where they're promising all these other things and yet they're living the lives of kings when they, when they say like we should be living otherwise? What, what's, what's going on? What's the disconnect? We don't see it. We don't see it. And when we do see it, there's a very good explanation for it. We don't see it, and it's it's was that um, was that word? Is it a word or a kind of a phrase? Um, confirmation bias, right? The very fact that we have confirmed that these people are the real the real deal, they can do no wrong. So all a person has to do is wear a white dress and and say that says tax the rich on it, and we forget that that dress itself costs. <laughs> Thousands of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. It's like, you see what I'm saying? But we're so blind because we, we, there's no critical thinking. We don't, we're, this is all a game. This isn't real. This is all a game. This is like, this is Shakespeare, all life's a stage and everybody's playing a part. This isn't real, bro. You know? You I see out, it. I, I, I see it. I, I, that's why that's why you're the madman 
Seriously. That's why you're the madman in the state. You're going to be the madman. And you're going to be, you're, no one's going to believe you. They're going to throw stones at you. They're going to call you crazy and stupid, right? They're not going to believe you because everybody is, everybody is so, this is like a, it's, if you actually woke up and saw life for what it was, it'd be one of the most depressing cracks out there. And I'm talking about human life, human existence, because we are incredibly good at deceiving ourselves and at the same time, destroying our lives and lives of others. Like it's, we don't see it. We don't, we don't want to see it. We don't care to see it. And when we do see it, the people who we accuse have a wonderful explanation. Oh, you mean all this money right here, this pile of money? Well, this is money I made fighting for the justice of people. So it's, it's earned money. It's, it's good money. Like, oh, that makes sense. Like, oh, you mean, you mean you made all that money fighting for people to have money? Well, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> that, I, I think that's yeah. <laughs> I, I, th I think this is an excellent place to stop. And I think our next episode is going to be about cognitive dissonance and why we embrace lies. Because I, I think that's the territory that we've entered now because none of this is possible. All of this entitlement, non-entitlement, whatever it is, none of this is possible without us consenting to accepting lies. And I, I think that like, I think a lot of civilization is founded upon us believing lies and I actually want to explore why it is, why is it that I, I, I kind of see the writing on the wall? Why are so many of my brothers and sisters not seeing the writing on the wall? Why is it that they can't, why, why are their eyes just shut so securely and they can't really seem to open them? But I, I, this will be for next week. How does that sound, my friend? That sounds good, brother. All right, Kenny, thank you so much. Um, I, I certainly feel uh, less entitled speaking to you, so I think that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for having me. Uh, it was a pleasure. Um, you better damn have me on next week, bro. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, we're, we're, we're finishing it, man. But don't feel, too, don't feel too entitled to come back. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, brother. Take care. Take, take care. This concludes the 166th episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Asrod.